All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of Elections Weekly. We got a new intro there. We're still getting some audio for it, but figured we show the new intro off for the show and for our election coverage. Uh, we've had some interesting political news the last few weeks. We've not been covering um, as much lately because it's just been a little bit of a lull, but we have had a couple of very interesting Senate announcements to go over, and we probably should talk about them because these are actually two important races. These are two races that are on the they're either on the front lines or they're near the front lines for the 2024 Senate contest. Like we've said before, the Senate contest 2024 looks really, really bad for Democrats and not like bad, like 2022 looked where it was like, you know, there's, there's a path to Democrats keeping a majority. There's a path to even gaining a seat or two. It was a thin path this time. It's all defense. Cause there's only two potential Republican targets. Uh, there's Florida and there's Texas. So those are the only two, those are the only two States Democrats can target. And let's be honest, neither of them are viable targets. I mean, I, Rick Scott's more, more vulnerable than Rubio, I guess. But it's it's still Florida, and it's still it's still the Florida. Side. On the other hand, Democrats have virtually every single state from 2018 that was super competitive. 20, 2016 states. We've got uh, we've got we got a Senate race in Arizona, Nevada, Montana, Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, uh, Minnesota. Uh, even Maine, for example, like basically there's a bunch of states that could theoretically potentially possibly be on the board. There are really only uh, four or five that I think are actually on the board. But in terms of in terms of likely targets, there's two that Democrats can target and there's like eight or nine that could be at least inside the outside of the safe zone. And two of those states have seen Senate announcements in the last couple of weeks. First, one we'll talk about real quick is Michigan. We did write an article about this uh, incumbent Senator Debbie Stabenow. Of Michigan, she's been there since 2000. She won a very highly contested Senate race that year, and then has held it fairly easily throughout the last three Senate contests, or the other two, or sorry, three election re-election wins, 2006, 2012, super gigantic margins in those races, and then 2018, she won by a good margin, but it was still seven points is a lot lower than was expected, which in part was because of John James. I think whether you like John James or not, I think most people would agree he is a better than average candidate for Republicans in Michigan at this point. That's one example of that. And then him winning in a, in a Whitmer plus 10 seat. Uh, short of that, though, she's had a very, very impressive tenure as a senator. She's been there a long time and she's decided to retire. And the reason she gave is an interesting one. Uh, she is retiring because she thinks Democrats can win the seat without her, uh, which and she's you know, right. Yeah. Because uh, Republicans in Michigan, we'll talk about this, they don't have a bench. Their bench is gone. Uh, and their state party is really clowning. <laughs> yeah. So since 2016, the Republican Party in Michigan has completely and utterly atrophied. Uh, we have seen a state that controlled the legislature for decades, that controlled the state Senate since the 80s, that had the uh, gubernatorial office, had all the statewide offices, all, everything except for federal offices. Even that they, they didn't have two senators, but they still had a majority of House seats. We have seen that whittled away to Republicans are now minority in both houses, don't hold any statewide offices, don't hold either of the senator seats, hold a minority of House districts. Uh, and all of their up and coming stars have either been, have been generally defeated, except for John James, who at this point running for a third a third time within three three Senate races, just be a very bad idea. Outside of that, their bench is gone. Peter Mayer no longer in office. Some of their suburban moderates no longer in office. They have very little bench. Democrats but, have nothing but bench in Michigan. But, but Eric, Tudor Dixon. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just a bad situation for this party. Um, on the other hand, you have Michigan Democrats who for a while were 
not a great political party. They did well at the federal level after, you know, after 92, they did really well. They won every, every presidential contest until 2016, held the Senate races pretty easily. Even in years like 2014, they held them pretty confidently, but they had very, very big difficulties winning legislative races, winning house races, um, and winning statewide in state elections. Um, and now they're in a dominant position. So you have, at this point, the, the problem for Democrats may be they have too many good nominees to choose from, people who could be credible statewide candidates. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, Slotkin, Andy Levin, I know he's not going to run, but credible candidates. Mm-hmm. They have a large list of them. Um, and Republicans really, they don't. Does that mean you can't win a race with a with a candidate that's out of nowhere? It does not mean that. But there's a reason that we're probably going to have this race that leans Democratic instead of toss-up. And it's because the Michigan Republican Party is very bad. Even if this is a state that will be competitive presidentially, and we expect it to be competitive. We do expect Michigan to be a competitive state in 2024. It's been consistently proving that the last couple cycles, do we expect Republicans to do better than at the top of the ticket with this state party? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And depending on who the presidential nominee is, I'm not even convinced Michigan will be super competitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's it's a it's a challenge. This is this is a state where you know for a while Republicans seemed really confident about 2016. It looked like they had been building to something, right? Because they get wiped out in the 2000s. Then they went back to state senate. They passed right to work. They win a gubernatorial race in 2010 and 2014, even with an unpopular governor. They hold their statewide offices, hold a House majority seats. And then in 2018, they just crater, just utterly crater, losing every statewide race, mostly by double-digit margins, losing all of them by double-digit margins pretty much this time, not fielding credible candidates against even people who they should be able to compete against. Like uh, Dana Nessel is really, really liberal. She's like, and you could actually run a credible campaign against her because she's Basically, you know, Keith Ellison, she's extremely liberal, but they ran a clown. They ran clowns in all of their races. I'm sorry. This is actually a genuine question. The person who ran against Nestle, was that the one who believed in demonic possession or was that the other one? I'm pretty sure it was the one who believed in demonic possession. I'm pretty sure that was the one. Good, good, good. Yeah. uh, Again, just... The Michigan Republican Party is another clinic. Yeah, this is DePerno. No, she she won against DePerno. Um, demonic possession might have been Secretary of State. Yeah. Oh yeah, DePerno was DePerno the January sixth guy. DePerno was the January sixth guy. Real winners over there. Yeah, absolute winners. This is a rock star ticket right here. Um, just well, there's not. Yeah, again, we think this can be competitive because of the statewide lean. This is a swing state at the federal level. It's on the Democratic side of the swing, but, you know, it's within three, four points in 2020. Trump did win it in 2016. Um, I mean, DePerno's running for head of the state party. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. You got you basically got your statewide losers and they're all running for some form of office this time around. Uh, so absolute clown car going to another state where both parties are basically absolute clown cars at this point. Uh, you have Kirsten Cinema, who who's won presage to the Democratic sweep of Arizona in statewide races near sweep in 20, 2022. Uh, you know, Democratic win of the statewide in the Senate race in 2020 with Biden and Mark Kelly. Um, uh, you know, she's running as an independent. We don't think she'll win. We think she'll finish in third, and we think it will be a very wide margin of finishing in third. On paper, this means Republicans should have a great shot to win in Arizona. 
um, you know, they've got two two people splitting the ticket, and that person is almost certainly going to be Ruben Gallego, who is a very very progressive House member from Phoenix. You would think this would be a pretty easy seat to go to the top of the table for Republicans. The problem again is candidate quality. All of the candidates being floated this time pretty are much bad. are bad. They're very bad candidates. Here is a list of the candidates who are either interested in running for this office or have expressed interest. You have uh, Carrie Lake, who managed to lose in an R plus five electorate. She managed to lose. A she is race. running. She is running. She's already, she just said, uh, tweeted out like she has an announcement for January 29th. So uh. unless she's also doing NFT trading cards, yeah, she's running. She, she of course, lost her election and has since then declared herself the legitimately elected governor of Arizona. She's not only pulling her best Stacey Abrams impression, she's actually going above and beyond. Uh, Stacey Abrams never claimed to be duly elected. She said she won, but she never claimed she was actually elected, which is a right. minor distinction. And I, I have been very tough on Stacey Abrams, deservedly, for her ridiculous claims. Carrie Lake is already beyond that, and it's been a, it's been a month. Um, she's wanting to consider running. You have a Pentagon County Sheriff Mark uh, Mark Lamb, who was best known for um, being supporting January six rioters. Uh, also known for being a member of the uh, supporter of the constitutional sheriffs movement, which despite the name is complete nonsense. This is the idea that sheriffs have the the power to abrogate state and federal laws that they don't like. Excuse uh, the, me. Yes. Yeah. I've the, the, never heard of this before. Yeah. Today. So yeah. So it's basically this idea that's kind of caught on in some like rural counties with five people in them that the supreme law of the United States is not the constitution. It is county sheriffs. Now, and the, I'm two weeks into constitutional law, and I know that's not right. Yeah. Again, this is mostly, this is literally, and I, I, I try to be fair-handed. This literally came out of white supremacist movements. Uh, there are sheriffs like this who are in the 60s. This is like where this movement has ideologically come from. That's what Mark that's Lamb, I'm not saying he's racist. I'm not saying Mark Lamb is racist. I'm saying he's part of a movement that has some really bad origins and believes insane things. So you've got that. You have Blake Masters, who uh, managed to lose a statewide election in Arizona in an R plus five electorate by five points. How did that even happen? Because he's bad. Uh, just look at his face and you'll get an idea of how it happened. These are some of the people. And then, of course, you have Andy Biggs. You have Andy Biggs, who was, again, uh, very, very extremely uh, far to the right at this point. But, but uh, he's also the best of those options. He's the best of the bunch. Now, do you have people who are considering running who are reasonably competent? Sure. Karen Taylor Robson is, is talking about running. She almost beat Carrie Lake in the primary. Um, Godspeed to her. Uh, but this is Arizona we're talking about. And all hope dies in the state. It is the meth lab of democracy, as Kirsten Cinema famously said. In fact, I'll go so far as to even say this. By most objective standards of, of electability, imagine if this race is between uh, Carrie Lake a Republican who, or no, Blake Masters. Let's say it's between Blake Masters and Ruben Gallego and Kirsten Cinema. Out of those three, who would most people vote for? Uh, you know, Ruben Gallego, who is a very, very, very progressive House member, pretty out of step with the state as a whole. I think most people would would agree with that. Not as far out there as like a Carrie Lake in terms of stuff, but someone who a competent Republican should be able to easily label as being way too liberal. You have on whatever side, you know, Blake Matt, pick your pick your lunatic on the right, I guess. You got them. And then you have Kirsten Cinema, who has a bipartisan record of passing a bunch of bills in the in the Senate and is basically irritated everyone on both sides for being too moderate. If you if you have cinema getting five percent of the vote, you'll be correct. Um <laughs> yeah, like I 
she's going to get 5%. And that may be enough yeah. to sink Gallego. But mm. the certainty with which mm. I've been seeing people predicting that is absurd. Yeah. This is a competitive... Gallego could easily... could has mm-hmm. a very real shot yeah. of winning. Yeah, and again, you know, I don't want to utterly dismiss Gallego out of hand. What I will say is that he has a... John Fetterman obviously won in Pennsylvania. That is one thing kind of going over. This is that makes progressives. Progressives are very, very confident they can do this in every single state now. I don't think that's accurate. That's basically the equivalent of Republicans looking at like Joni Ernst winning in 2014 and being like, we can win every state now with conservatives because we got Mm. Joni Ernst to win Iowa. No, I don't think that's a fair comparison. What would your comparison be then? Iowa is way farther to the uh, way more Republican than Pennsylvania is Democrat. At the time, though, was it? That's the question, right? That's what I'm mostly getting at. Is this is a state? You know, this is a, this is a, you know, Clinton, Clinton, Gore, Nader, or not Gore, Nader, Gore, Kerry, Obama, Obama state, right? This is a state that's, uh, although Iowa voted for for Bush in 2004. What I'm more getting at is that progressives seem very confident they can carry that Fetterman strategy literally everywhere. And I don't. Okay, maybe not everywhere. But I don't think it's a bad bet. I really I do think, don't. Yeah, I do think it's not a good bet for Arizona. I also don't think Republicans know what they're doing in Arizona. This is a state where the primary electorate is suburban moderates and urban moderates. Um, and then you have a bunch of rural voters who are either um, extremely Republican or literally Native American or like or Hispanic. Like you, there's very little balance in Arizona in terms of like. But the middle of it is clearly suburban moderates. Ruben Gallego is liberal enough that you would suspect him to have some issue with this group. Carrie you, Lake, though, is a literal lunatic. Yeah. See, Andy Biggs is really, really, really conservative. Like, Blake I, Masters is, is Blake Masters. What can you even say about this at this point? Yeah, I do like mocking him, though, so we can. Mm-hmm. But honestly, though, if you told me the election was... Gallego Lake Cinema. I really like Gallego's chances because Trump has proven to be very radioactive since 2020. I think that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. And what happened after 2020 besides January 6th? Bunch yeah. of election conspiracies. Yeah. What has Carrie Lake spent every day since she lost doing? election conspiracy i don't disagree with you but on the other hand i do think that republicans have a have a much higher floor in arizona than democrats do i think i think the floor floor for republicans in arizona is very clearly 46 or 45 percent of the vote okay yes that's the absolute floor that's for a blake masters tier candidate sure but blake which we could get we could we could get but okay so here's why i agree and don't so blake masters bad candidate very bad candidate. We've the worst Republican about... candidate in the last decade, I think, for yes. the Senate race. Straight up. Yes, uh, absolutely. No doubt. But I think there is, I think there's a difference. And I think we don't know what the floor for a, for a, an open and current election denier, we don't know what that floor is. Hmm. I, 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 just, I don't. I'm not as confident that the floor is 45, 46%. You could be right, but Blake Masters didn't spend the entire campaign talking about how the 2020 election was. Sure, but like a bunch of other people running on that Republican ticket did, that's where they ended up. 
they ended up at about that 45, 46% threshold. But those were minor offices being care. Those were attorney general, uh, secretary of state, I believe. Those were being, though, nobody was splitting their vote for Carrie Lake and the Democratic senator, or not many people were. Obviously, mm-hmm. it did happen because Carrie Lake got closer than the, those other people did. But I don't know. You see what I'm getting at here? I don't know. I, I just think it's a little bit I, – I do think we need to see how big of a difference this is because obviously at this point, I know there are some people who are convinced that if Blake Masters just had more money, he would have won. No. 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 That is coping. That is coping. I'm here to tell you. You give him more money, he does not win. The problem if with Blake I, if Masters anything, is not he that he – loses by more. <laughs> yes, because again, look at his campaign. Look at his face. Look at like all of this and like – Tell the, me you think this is someone who could win a statewide race in Arizona. Looking most, back in hindsight, it, it it's just absolutely baffling. Yeah, the most effective bit of campaigning Mark Kelly ever did was at the end of the debate when he just turned to Blake Masters and said, look at this guy. <laughs> Again, actually, I honestly think people are really underrate, underrating the value of ridicule in, in political. I think people need to do this more. It clearly worked to some degree with, with Fetterman going after Oz and hence for being from like oh, that, that clearly worked. Yeah, um, I think Republicans have gotten this too. Like you've literally like lull Florida Democrats. It's such a meme at this point. The Florida Democrats have have in their own mind internalized that they cannot win statewide elections in Florida at this point. Like we really understate the value of ridicule. And Blake Masters is someone you could easily ridicule. Carrie Lake, if you actually give her a serious candidate, uh, like if if she was up against Mark Kelly, oh boy. Like again, you're dealing with someone who has a very specific. Uh, born on cable TV personality issues. Uh, if you look at specifically like the filter she uses, the the image she wants to craft for herself, that sort of bubble is very easy to break. Yeah. It, I feel like we're about to see a test of Doug Mastriano running for Senate. I really do. Oh, boy. Like, I, I think we're about to see that in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, yeah. I think we're I think we're at a point looking back in hindsight that it is actually crazy that Carrie Lake got as close to winning as she did because she was able to hold off on the craziness just a little bit during the campaign. Well, and now that she's lost, she has just gone off the rails in terms just all of it. Well, I, this is just an impression, so I could be wrong, but I feel like Democrats had largely given up on Katie Hobbs mm-hmm. yeah. for the most. So and nobody thought she would win. No, I certainly didn't. We didn't think she would win. We had the races going to Carrie Lake. We thought it would be more likely she wins by five than she loses. I even on election night, I I put money down on, I, I put money down on predictive for <laughs> Carrie Lake. Like, I thought it was a sure bet. <laughs> like mo, you I don't think there was a like you look at the polls. Like out of the last twenty or thirty polls, I think there were maybe two or three that had her up, and none of them were in the last month. It was absolutely brutal. And it is just, there's just clearly something about this that voters do not like. And I am of the I am of the frame of mind at this point that if you are a Republican, if you are serious about winning elections, you have to stop these people. This is just you cannot keep letting say what you will about organizing. All all of the means. I agree. Organizing is silly. I think the organizers are by and large a tremendously silly group. I think people overstate the influence of organizers and of running, you know, all these state organizations. But you know what Democrats do? They have they do a very good job of running their own state parties almost always to where either they can win with them or you can pull in Nevada Democrats and just win by just ditching the state party and having the Reed machine carry everything. Like they know what they're doing. 
if you can't seriously convince the Michigan Republican Party to stop being crazy, set up your own alternative to fundraise. If you cannot stop the Arizona Republican Party from giving the giving the Katie, you know, Kate Kelly Wards of the world control of your party, like you can either lay down and lose elections, or you can at least try to fight back and maybe potentially win a few. Who knows? I, I still think Blake Masters is going to run for head of the uh, Arizona Republican. That would party. be such a disaster, and they would be <laughs> they would give it to him. They would give they it would. to him because this oh, party yeah. is incompetent. This party is just run by lunatics. They'd hand it to him on a silver platter. Like um, it, it just it's just absolute dumpster fire of a state party, and it shouldn't be the case. Like, but yeah. this is what this is. I think honestly, for a lot of these people, I know we do the popcorn politics. I'm going to bring something in here. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. The the you know the the quote from that. You know you can't you can't have peace without a great suffering. I don't think the Arizona Republican Party will experience any form of peace until they have just been wiped out. Like they just okay, lose but everything. They have. No, they they can still lose. They they have the legislature they, still. They have they the they have, they they have a one statewide office. They have the legislature and they have six house members. What happens when that goes to them not having the legislature, having no statewide officers, and having three house members? Well, they'll hold the one statewide office because Kimberly Yee seems to mm-hmm. be holding on against the tide. Yeah, but... the thing I point to, the thing I'll point to is Virginia. Virginia Republicans lost for a decade because they nominated idiots. They nominated idiots. They kept doing this over and over and over again. And then the one time they nominate someone half competent, Ed Gillespie, he was so spooked by his primary, he had to, one, run a campaign designed to appeal to those idiots. And two, he was doing it in a Democrat plus eight year. Like, the, yeah. when they actually nominated a credible slate of statewide candidates, you know what they did? They won all three of them. It was, yeah, it was a big Republican year. But, like, so much I mean, of this thing comes from literally just nominating normal people. Democrats I mean, have the lead on this at this point. They nominate normal people all the time or people who could pretend to be normal for five minutes. Like, it, yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say Democrats are electoral gods. I don't believe that. <laughs> um, I think Democrats are largely bad at their jobs, mm-hmm. but they're the least bad of the bunch so far. It's, Honestly, what this kind of brings you back to is is in the in the seventies and eighties, Republicans would ridicule Democrats on a regular basis as the party of abortion, amnesty, and acid. Like they would basically like these people are lunatics. And they what? are insane. They are acid drugs. Drugs. Oh. So basically, yeah, like. They would ridicule them as absolutely crazy people who deserve to be nowhere near power. And you know what? It actually worked because people actually thought Democrats were way too far out of things. Like they just thought they were too far out of it. Uh, you know, norma- the perception of normality actually matters in elections. And I think a lot of voters are perceiving Republicans as being, frankly, insane because they're nominating actual lunatics. Who- yeah, and I don't see this getting better. Like – I, the primary is going to be Trump versus DeSantis, and DeSantis is going to have to run to Trump's right mm-hmm. to beat him. So I don't see this lunatic problem going away. Mm-hmm. And I do want to answer a comment here. Which is someone said, do you guys think DeSantis is really the solution to the GOP's lunatic problem? I think you're assuming that further to the right or further to the left correlates equally with the lunatic scale. The lunatic scale and the political view scale are not the same thing. Like, if you look at the lunatic scale, Carrie Lake is like a 10. In terms of policy, she was more like a 7. Like, on the, like most of her policy priorities, aside from the election conspiracy stuff, were like normal Republican things. School choice people loved her because she was promising more school vouchers. 
Like she was actually trying to appeal to people who vote for Republicans. It just she was literally breaking the scale on lunacy. Um, and then you, I guess you, on the other hand, you have like Cory Bush. I guess could be like a ten, but she's also in a Democrat plus forty district that like it, it, it doesn't correlate evenly. Like George Santos is a is a thirteen on the lunatic scale. On the I actual, love this on, man. On the actual issues scale, he's like a two. Like no, actually, on the actual issues scale, he's also a lunatic because <laughs> he both supports DACA and January 6th. <laughs> so, no, I'm sorry. He's also a lunatic on that scale. <laughs> but his but his policy is not as lunatic as his actual perceived views. On the other hand, DeSantis, on the lunatic scale, it's very hard to depict Ron DeSantis as a lunatic. Florida Democrats have... Have di- have had difficulty per- portraying him as a lunatic. Because... Okay, but Florida Democrats have difficulty putting on their shoes. Mm-hmm. But even even nationally, polls show that he still is either even favorable. He's either he's one of the most popular elected officials in the country. He's up there with Bernie in terms of like things people like. They like not everyone knows who he is, but the people who know him have a broadly more positive view of him than negative one. On the on the on the on the actual scale of like conservative. He is to the right of Trump, and he's closer to a ten than he is to an eight. Like absolutely, they're not the same thing. They are not the same thing at all. You can be an absolutely sane person who is also like politically radical. Sure, you can be, you can be a lunatic who is very politically moderate. I'm sure there's someone out there that's that's like that. Josh uh, Gottheimer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Like it, they're not the same thing, so you, you, we kind of need to divorce ourselves because, like, well, when when Republicans are simultaneously just this is actually helpful for a lot of Republicans who are just not even moderate, who are just not crazy. Like Kimberly E is still really conservative, but by virtue of not being an actual election denying lunatic, people are like yeah, you know, I like I don't you know, like these January six people, but Kimberly E, she seems like a normal person. See, I, <laughs> I actually think so. I'm going to disagree about DeSantis, but I'm going to agree with your overall point by instead pointing to Brian Kemp. Mm-hmm. He, oh, yeah. He is a conservative lunatic on the policy scale. He's pretty close to a 10, I would imagine. He's probably He's an 8 or a 9. Mm-hmm. But by virtue of not being an election denier, he looks like a moderate. It's even not even not being an election isn't. denier. It's like literally fighting against them, like doing the almost the bare minimum of like, no, the election was not stolen. I'm going to sign the election certification because it is literally my job. Like <laughs> by virtue of doing his job in one area, he is beloved. Like I'm almost mad at Democrats for this. Like this is the same thing as the rehabilitation of Bush. Like what are we doing? What are we it, doing? Like if if you're an actual like competent Republican, you could actually like use this if you're. Just by virtue of not being crazy, you can actually get pretty reasonably far at this point. But the problem is you have to win a primary. And and that's what I was going to say. DeSantis is going to have to run as a lunatic to beat Trump. He is going to have to not only go further right on policy, but he's going to have to go further right on aesthetics. He's going to have to lean into the anti-vax stuff. He's going to have to lean into the oh, we're going to eliminate taxes on gas stoves, even though his state mostly uses electric stoves. Um, That sort of thing. He's going to have to run on culture war stuff. And I just, I don't, that's radioactive. Mm -hmm. uh, Culture war conservatism is radioactive. And that's, 
some elements of the culture war. I think there's like two different culture wars going on. On the one hand, you have like a broad, so like there's two types of culture war. In in one sense, it has been for a long time for conservatives. It has been an us versus them, right? You even go back to, to Buckley. He was like, I'd rather be governed by like the first 100 people in the Boston phone book than by the staff at Yale. There's been like some elements of like anti-establishmentness sort of like, that's a normal level of, that's a normal level of culture. I, war. A normal I barely level. consider that the culture war anymore. That's what honestly. it was back in the day. A normal level of culture war is like something like, say, Brian Kemp, who's like, I don't like CRT. That's pretty normal. That's like, as far as things got, that's not too far out of the, out of the woods. Or like, I don't think we should give rep. Like there's a, there's like a bunch of things you could actually do culture war stuff on that are, that the problem is all of the culture war people are insane. They're focusing on things nobody cares about. They're still mad at gay people. Like, mm -hmm. Guys, you lost the boat on that one. Again, this is a matter of, act <laughs> of of being actually scaring people off from voting for you. So like Republicans had a – going into 2022, they had a bad economy, a really bad economy. It's still not very good. Rampant inflation, all the stuff. What do Republicans run on? In a lot of cases, drag queen story time, an issue nobody outside of Twitter cares about, literally nobody. Uh, they focus on that. They focus on transgender bathrooms, an issue that did they not care work. about it on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I, I care about transgender bathroom access, which again was a thing we litigated in North Carolina in 2016. Spoiler alert: it didn't work. It didn't work at all. It worked terribly. It, it, the one time you came to these people, it does terribly. They're yeah. dealing with people who think that like no exception abortion bans, which you know what that that didn't work in 2012. These people or 2022. <laughs> not only are you not talking about things people care about, actually prioritizing like economic stuff, you were talking about. They're focusing so much on these fringe culture war issues that are really important if you are a, if you are an angry conservative who listens to talk radio all day, subscribes to Matt Walsh and all this other number of stuff. But if you're a normal like a, if you're a Hispanic man living in Houston, who just wants to be able to pay rent next month. Do you care about drag queen story time? Do you care about transgender bathrooms and women's sports? Do you care about any of these other just things that are just so far out there? Yeah, the yeah. gas stoves. Does anyone care about it? Like, I, I get, I get the gas stoves. The Biden administration started that. It was dumb. The gas nobody in the South uses. I don't know anyone who. Yeah, nobody in the South in the Republican base uses a gas stove. I don't know anyone no. who owns a gas stove. I know somebody who uses a gas stove. He's a liberal Democrat in Washington. Yeah, they, they most of the gas stove uses stuff like California and New York. As far as culture war issues go, this is one of the dumber ones. But it just it. It's or a the fundamental MNF. fail. It's a fundamental failure of these people to understand what people go to the polls for and what they care about. And the things that primary Republican voters care about are just not th they're things that at best the public doesn't care about and at worst actively repulses them. Yeah, being being homophobic and transphobic in 2022 is politically toxic. Frankly as it should be, but you're not going to win on that, guys. Mm -hmm. Move on. There mm -hmm. are other culture wars you can win. Mm -hmm. Even like the Trumpy culture war stuff in 2016, was that based around like cringe, fringe social issues? No. It was generally based around like a seething feeling of 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 resentment 
communities that have been economically disadvantaged and left behind, or as they felt like it was, it was basically about perceived, per, being perceived as being left out of the American economy, like for lack of a better term. Most of that was like was based off of that, and was based off of anti immigrant and stuff racism. and racism. Yeah, like, but it wasn't based off of like, oh my god, there's a there's a library in San Francisco where a drag queen shows up every now and then. Like, sure, you can, you can, you can say that's a bad thing. I don't, like, no. I, I, you can have an opinion on that, but, like, does anyone actually, like, prioritize that beyond, like, fringe Catholic traditionalists who also want to ban abortion and also want to ban Jews? Like, does yeah, anyone care? No. Hey, those aren't new voters. They were already voting for Republicans. <laughs> and if, B, they're the people that... Everyone in the town looks at like, okay, you're weird. Yeah, it, it's a total matter of weirdness. Like Blake Masters is the epitome of that. Uh, Blake Masters is a weirdo. And like, yeah, Rick Scott looks like a weirdo. You know what he governs like generally as a governor of Florida? Like a pretty normal person. Pretty Who good with Hurricane <laughs> Yeah, but that was before he went to office when he went and he suffered the, the consequences of that by almost losing in 2010 and you know, 2014. But like, and 2018. <laughs> he wins in spite of himself because people generally perceive him as, as fairly competent. Blake Masters, again, this is a guy who could well run again for some reason. I don't know why you would ever run this person again after, you know, just literally just looking at his campaign ads and saying, no, if you give this more money, it actually does work. So I'm pretty sure if it's like a scale. If he had less money, he might have actually done better. Who knows? His campaign ads gave off uh, serial killer vibes, like mm -hmm. listening to actual serial killers. The one with the Bond gun, like the one with the Bond gun, where he talks about how he likes how this is a gun for shooting people, mm -hmm. and it's German. It's it's a, it's a German gun. Yeah, you know the Germans they make great stuff. <laughs> yeah, this isn't a gun for hunting. This is for shooting. Okay, weirdo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't own this gun. To, I don't own this gun to hunt. I own this to shoot people. Like, okay, <laughs> weird flex. <laughs> like, it's just. I think at this point, and again, our ratings are going to incorporate this. I we're working on them right now. We're we're kind of finalizing them. We are not giving Republicans the benefit of the doubt this time until they actually put up credible candidates. It. It, it literally is that simple. I think it, if you if you put a gun to my head, I think Republicans win the Senate because I think they win West Virginia, they win Ohio, and they lose nothing else. And that's the bare minimum. Do I think they can win Montana at this point with the two potential candidates, Ryan Zinke, who is scandal scandal plagued, and Matt Rosendale, who won already lost and two has gotten crazier since then? I love it. No. I love that you guys are going to give John Tester an extra term. This is fantastic. It, it's entirely self-inflicted. Like it really is. There's really nothing else he to say. He should lose. He should lose. In yeah. a normal year, he would lose. This is this is a state that Trump won by 16 points. He should be losing. He should have lost in 2018. If you hadn't nominated someone from Maryland, he probably would have lost. Didn't they nominate Rosendale? Yep. Maryland Matt. Maryland Matt. Go. Hey, look. It could be worse. It could be zinc. Oh wait. <laughs> Uh, you, but yeah, but you know what? You guys are going to get West Virginia, and you're probably going to get Ohio because all the all the candidates left in Ohio are fairly normal. Mm -hmm. Like yeah, like it's going to be like it's going to be Matt. It's going to be probably either Frank LaRose or Matt Dolan. Like there's really not anyone other than those two that probably would be credible to run. Indiana is going to be really interesting to watch because you, on the one hand, you have 
this is entirely, I actually want to talk about this a little bit. We're, we're going to go a little bit over here, but Indiana is really interesting to watch because people are trying to make this between a moderate and a conservative. It's not. It's actually between a, uh, between a labor populist and Jim Banks and between Mitch Daniels, who is like one of the most fiscally conservative governors ever. The reason the Club for Growth has endorsed Jim Banks is not because they love Jim Banks. It is because the leader of the Club for Growth lost his run for governor in 2000 in Indiana by 15 percentage points. He ran again in 2004. George Bush endorsed Mitch Daniels in the primary, and he had to drop out. And that is why he's mad. He is mad that Mitch Daniels became governor of Indiana instead of him. It is absolutely personal. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> hey, you know what? We have similar personal stuff going on in the Democratic Party. <laughs> New York's a hot mess. I hope we get it's to a talk very about hot mess. it. Yeah. Let's actually, let, let's talk a little bit longer. Just briefly describe what's going on with the Supreme Court fiasco before we head off. So this is all very funny. Um, Kathy Hochul nominate, uh, chose her Court of Appeals Chief Justice nominee. Court of Appeals is the Supreme Court of New York. The Supreme Court of New York is a lower court. Don't ask me why. It's very confusing. None of it makes sense. No, it's very dumb. Um, so she nominated Hector LaSalle. Um, if a Latino candidate. Okay, cool. Great. Um, oh, wait. He wrote a ruling that said that discriminating against somebody based on their skin color is okay because skin color isn't race. That's not great. Progressives don't like um, him, long and short. They do not like him. Yeah, they don't like him. Unions don't like him. Unions really don't like him. They matter in New York. New York is one it, of the few states where unions still exist. Yeah, they do not like Hector LaSalle. Um, so Democratic state senators lined up against him. Uh, voted him down in the committee. Kathy Hochul did this weird move of taking her MLK Day speech and making it about Hector LaSalle and how everybody's being very mean to him. Um, again, weird choice. Um, women's groups don't like Hector LaSalle. They're lining up against him. I think even the NAACP is lining up against Hector LaSalle. Um, very unforced error. So the judiciary votes him down. 10 to 9. All the Republicans vote in favor. All but two Democrats vote against. Uh, to be fair, what, what that actually meant is they gave no recommendation. They ten gave no recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, 10 voted against recommendation. 7 voted to advance without recommendation. And only two people voted to recommend. Two Democrats. Um, but since it didn't go forward, uh, Andrea uh, Cousins, uh, I forget the other part of her last name, um, the House Majority Leader, or the uh, head of the state Senate, rather, um, said the nomination was dead. She wouldn't bring it forward for a vote. And Kathy Hochul has decided, nope, I'm going to sue the state legislature to get a four <laughs> vote. Andrea Stewart Cousins. The, uh, Cousins, thank you. Um, yeah, this is a really weird thing. I don't understand it at mm -hmm. all. Um, Kathy Hochul had a narrower than expected win against Lee Zeldin. Um, now, since Lee Zeldin ran primarily on crime, you would assume that she would take a tact of going in that direction, going to plug up that vulnerability. No, no. She she just, she's gone right on everything. Um, I think she's declared, I think she 
I think it's more so that she wants to differentiate herself and the Democratic Party from the progressives that they're, I think, correctly blaming for a lot of the electoral defeats. Okay, but she went too far and pissed off all the moderates too. Mm-hmm. Like even normie liberals don't like don't like LaSalle. Yeah. The unions aren't radical liberals. The unions don't even like the Working Families Party all that much. There was a deep divide between them in the Cuomo years. Um, but the progressives in the unions, they're united in not liking LaSalle. This is just mm-hmm. a really weird, unforced error. You could have found there were a lot of nominees. I think there were seven nominees. That yeah, there's a judicial nominating convention. She can't choose literally anyone. She has to choose someone on the list. Yeah, there were Which seven. is a bad system. I think it's a bad system. I just yeah, like nominating commissions. I don't like a nominating commission either. We're in agreement. But there were like seven choices. Progressives said, we don't like these three. Hoko picked probably the only one of the three that couldn't have made it through. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just... It's a really weird thing. Um, Hochul's made a lot of strange votes since losing her election. Uh, she voted, she vetoed a bill to divorce Alcoholics Anonymous from um, from overt religiosity. Very weird mm-hmm. thing. She's voted to. Uh, she proposed a budget that hiked up uh, tuition for the state universities. Mm-hmm. Again weird um just a lot of strange choices that yeah she vetoed she vetoed or she modified the right to work or uh, right to repair bill um, yeah which irritated like that's just i think that one actually passed unanimously i'm pretty sure yeah it passed unanimously and she's still i i think she actually mm-hmm. vetoed it yeah i actually don't dislike that because I, I don't i'm not a fan of right right to repair i can explain that in detail later but like that's something that's popular like yeah it she, yeah, she's going against popular things, pissing off her base, pissing off unions, which all backed her up. And it's and still six, uh, six or seven, seven Republicans, no, six Republicans didn't vote to advance the nominee with with recommendation, mm-hmm. pissing off every single Democrat still couldn't get one Republican to recommend. Mm-hmm. This is this is political malpractice. She's going to be weaker. I wouldn't be surprised if she lost a primary because of this. <laughs> On, I, genuinely I don't wouldn't. disagree. She's clearly in very vulnerable. Yeah. She's pissed everybody off and not gained enough allies in the Republican party. Mm-hmm. If she does, that. I would go so far as to say if she does win the nomination, Republicans nominate anyone half decent. It could very well be another closer than expected gubernatorial race. And she'll probably go further right blaming progressives for that instead of doing any self-reflection. Just like Jay Jacobs, who is still in charge of the New York Democratic (laughs) Party, despite the New York Democratic Party costing us the House anyway. (laughs) Just a lot of unforced air. This was a... A podcast of unforced errors for both totally, sides. Yeah. Neither side is competent. All of them are clowns. No one is free of sin. That's the moral of the story here. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's pretty much it with that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on the Supreme Court? Drama? I've not been following too much. I'm surprised Republicans aren't more receptive to this, but also mm-hmm. I get they absolutely loathe Kathy Hochul and the primal loathing of Kathy Hochul and her crime policies is probably willing to override the, the smarter part of their brain. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, that. voting to advance that with recommendation would have been the right move politically mm-hmm. for the Republicans. 
Democrats absolutely should have voted him down. They control mm-hmm. the legislature. But yeah, uh, again, we this is a state we we genuinely discounted because we and I I think it was right. I think the the reason we gave for not moving the race is that there was not a path. And I was right because the path that Lee Zeldin would have needed to take, he just could not do. He got the margins in Long Island. He got the margins in the city. He just didn't do as well upstate. And he did not do the 35% he needed in the city, not 30%. 30% is damn impressive for yeah, a Republican no, in New York City. He really, did. like, that's better than Pataki. I, I, actually, I actually think that Lee Zeldin's overperformance justifies our rating further. <laughs> <laughs> because it, there was not a scenario where he could have won, even even no. with all that. It was a still six point two percent win for Ho- for Hochul. But at the same time, you know, if you're the New York Democrats, you're you're working, you're building, you're w- working with a coalition that is tenuous at best, right? You have a coalition that one relies on winning a bunch of suburban whites in Long Island, a bunch of really liberal suburban whites in Westchester County. A bunch of like small to mid-sized cities, you know, Buffalo, Rochester, Albany, Syracuse, all these places upstate, and then getting insane margins in New York City. If, if any one of these implode, you can do fine. If any three of them implode, it's just if all of them go away, that's the problem. But you don't even want to get, get to that point because you could resolve this issue easily. If they, if they voted a cosmetic fix to the crime bill, that would probably help a little bit. Yeah, um, Democrats, this is something I feel like progressives don't really understand. And I am a progressive. We do not really have to compromise our values to make ourselves appear less radioactive. We they really could, don't. They literally pretend to care about upstate. Yeah, for like five minutes, it would yeah. not take. Lip services take all the state needs, <laughs> but they don't feel confident. They don't feel competent enough to do this. Apparently, so uh, yeah. who knows? I, who knows? I, none of us are. There's a reason we're all analysts and not actually leading political parties, but uh, there's a lot of problems going around with these political I mean, parties. The Let's people see. who are leading these political parties probably shouldn't be either. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're not a fan of Jay Jacobs. You think you think he deserves another chance? No, uh, yeah, I mean, I just think Jay Jacobs has done such a good job. <sighs> he he held so many seats. He got all that great oppo on George Santos. Yeah, yeah. That oh. Phew. Don't even get me started on that. We can have a George Santos special on this one. We actually maybe need to do a George Santos documentary. I'm going to really be excited for that for whatever, whoever does a George Santos documentary, because it's going to be fun. Elections Daily needs to be on the beat in all of these likely D races, just doing oppo research on the Republican, because in the event that one sneaks through, it may be a Santos. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But again, uh, we actually went a little bit longer than we thought we would. So I guess we'll go ahead and call it night. Thank you guys for watching. We really do appreciate your support for us and what we're doing. Be sure to like, follow, subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, you can find us on Twitter at elections underscore daily and at elections-daily.com. Uh, we have some great stuff coming. We're working on some new projects, some new tools, and some new improvements to the election shuffler, among other things. So stay tuned to that. But we'll see Tomo- you next time. Yep. Oh, tomorrow, uh, Popcorn Politics yep, is back. Popcorn Politics for- is back. 4.30 uh, Eastern. We're going to be going over the Captain America trilogy. and Oh, how- nice. And how they reflect our uh, the American public's revol- um, evolving rather um, relationship with the intelligence community. Yeah, that's gonna be a good one. Who you got on for that one? Uh, Alex Heller still. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna really want that one. I love those movies. So that's 
that's going to be really fun to watch. But yeah, be sure to stay tuned for that. That is coming out tomorrow, uh, Saturday. If you're listening to this in podcast form, it'll be out Saturday. But yeah, appreciate your support. Be sure to like and subscribe. All that stuff that I've already said. We'll see you next week for Elections Week. Then be sure to tune in tomorrow for the next episode of Popcorn Politics with our co-host Dylan here. So well, uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.